You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Today we want to talk about the fact that the Lord knows his own. We're going to take this reading from 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to read quite a bit. We'll concentrate our remarks to the conclusion that Paul states at the end. This is Paul's second letter to Timothy. It's written to encourage him as he would be facing difficulties and had been facing difficulties. It would be especially disheartening, I think, to Timothy to see his beloved mentor and example in the faith and guide in the things of Christ suffering as he did. Sometimes seeing another suffer can be more more disheartening than suffering yourself. But suffering would come, and there would be a time of great difficulty. Paul himself, as latter parts of this letter will say, knows he is going to face martyrdom. So in that context, now of things that would be dreary, and sad, discouraging, and disheartening, Paul writes this, 2 Timothy 2, beginning in verse 7. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen. So they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement. For if we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he'll also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God, not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearer. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. In times that had been troubled and will be troubled still, Paul points Timothy to the glorious gospel that is in and of 
and by Christ Jesus. There is the hope and there is the victory. He says some will oppose it and some others will depart from it. But nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands. He knows those that are his and let them abstain from wickedness. So in a world of trouble and struggles, we need this same message. We have been recently reminded of the alien nature of our existence here as we are beset with weakness and we are separated from one another sometimes by circumstance, sometimes by health, sometimes by other means. We've always have supposed to have been aliens. Peter writes to those who reside as aliens in 1 Peter 1. He says more about it in 1 Peter 2. I urge you as aliens and strangers, abstain from fleshly lust. There's a sense of alienation we've always had with the world. But the comfort in the family of God is that we have brethren with us who are likewise strangers and aliens. And so we sojourn together. But at a time of sickness and isolation and quarantine, we've been made to be separate from even those and from even family to a greater degree than probably most of us have ever been separated. And so we were quarantined, not as a result of government action, uh, and those do often appear as overreaches. Those often appear unsustainable. But in our case, it was not external, forced upon us, but necessary precaution and prudence because so many of us were sick. Can you imagine the whole congregation? I mean, could you just imagine? For a couple of weeks, we're just not going to meet. Under what circumstance did that ever occur? <laughs> and then some circumstance occurred. And so we were literally weakened, and we were obviously as well literally separated, hopefully not in a figurative and spiritual sense, but in a literal sense we had to be. And we were hindered from doing those things, which on a regular basis we feel most compelled and most convicted to do. And so those of us who would never miss attendance, we missed, as did the rest. There was no corporate study. There was no mediation, meditation, pardon, on God's word together. There was no singing of his praise. There was, for most of us, not even attending a funeral of a dearly beloved sister. And we think about the people who had been so sickened and so isolated, even hospitalized. We think about all the things that under normal circumstance would have been done for them. I doubt any member of this congregation has ever been in a hospital as long as Steve was and then home afterwards without a visit. I don't think that's probably ever happened. By God's will. It won't happen again. So... <clears throat> So the very lives of service that we have been called to, individually and collectively, 
was basically suspended and is still to some degree curtailed because of the struggles in which we now find ourselves. And so we're reminded of just how tenuous and how alien, how frail we are here. Nevertheless, Paul said, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those that are his. And so we find ourselves, and we have found ourselves, in difficult circumstances. Now, even under the care and protection and shepherding of God, we can find our perspective about these things can change with circumstance and the place along the journey wherein we find ourselves. There's this sort of sad statement in Hebrew, excuse me, in Genesis. These things are mentioned by faith in Hebrews. But we have this sort of sad statement in Genesis 47 when Jacob, the prime minister of the great kingdom of Egypt, presented his father, Jacob, or Israel, to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to him, because he recognized he was old, how many years have you lived? How old are you, man? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my sojourning are 130. He would live a few years yet. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they obtained the years that my fathers lived during the time of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went away from his presence. Jacob had just recently probably within the weeks, been restored to his son Joseph after so many years of separation, him thinking all the while that he was dead. But we think about the life of Jacob and the things that would cause him to say, my years have been few and unpleasant, that Abraham and Isaac before him had lived quite a bit longer than he had. But he had lived in so, for so many years back in the land of promise after those years with Laban, 20 years there, and the chicanery and the rivalry that had gone on. But he had gone back and he had made some peace with his brother Esau. But there in that land he saw the death of his beloved wife, Rachel. We saw the thing with his daughter, Dinah, and the life that he lived in the land of Canaan among the disagreeable pagans, the strife that was in his own house among his own sons, the apparent death of the favorite son, Joseph, and then living for decades with however those other ten were after they pulled that off. And who knows what kind of things 
that does to a man. And then, on top of that, he had just come through seven years of famine. And so he didn't have a very bright outlook on life. But, but, a few years later, just one chapter over, but a few years passed in time, we come to Genesis 48, 15. It says there that Jacob, Israel, blessed Joseph, and he said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, and then he goes on to bless his son and his sons. And so, notice this. The man says in chapter 47, few and unpleasant have been the days of my life. And he says a couple of years later, God has been my shepherd all my life to this day. At the time of both statements, he was an old man. At the time of both statements, he's the Jacob of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the one who was chosen and blessed above his brother Esau. He was the man whose name was changed to Israel. He's the last common ancestor of all the Jews because he's the father of the patriarchs. He's the man that wrestled with God. He's the one who met God at El Bethel, naming the place the house of God. He's the man who blessed Pharaoh. Did we catch that when we read that? Jacob blessed Pharaoh and he went away from his presence after that statement about how he, his life was short and, and disappointing. Jacob blessed Pharaoh and Pharaoh went from, he went from his presence. What does it say in Hebrews? Without dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Pharaoh shows up and he blesses Pharaoh. Two men there were met. Two of, I think, probably Joseph's favorite men in the world. His father and the Pharaoh who had elevated him and who he served so well. These two most important men in Joseph's life. But which one did Joseph even really love? It's Jacob. He's the same man who had had most of the same life's blessings. The one who is the inheritor of the same position. And yet his outlook on life in these two passages, a few years apart, is so very different. Why? Because in one, he's thinking about the disappointments in life. And he'd had his share. In the other, he's thinking about the restoration of good things by God. And he got to spend the last few years of his life Although in a foreign land, he got to spend them with his favorite son. And what kind of quarters you figure his favorite son put him up in. And then that son, being the leader of the family, as well as the prime minister of a great empire of the world, but as leader of the family, had restored and unified the family. And so when it went well with him, Jacob said, God's been my shepherd every day. But when it had gone poor with him for some time, he said, bitter, few and disappointing, few and unpleasant 
have been the days of my life. Yet, in both statements, most of that life had already passed. And so our perspective can radically change depending upon our circumstance. And there are some days where we do get disappointed. And there are some days where this life does seem to be a few days of unpleasantness. But there's other days which by faith we should realize and recognize that God has been our shepherd all along the way. God has been protecting and guiding from the first day. It says this in Psalm 78. It's a summary of what God had done for Israel. Psalm 78, beginning verse 51. He smote the firstborn of Egypt, the first issue of their virility in the tents of Ham. But he led forth his own people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. And he led them safely so they did not fear. But the sea engulfed their enemies. This is God for Israel coming out of Egypt. But we can see the parallels between this and what God has done for us. And we think about what Ezekiel said literally hundreds of years later, maybe even as much as five, six hundred years later. Ezekiel says, as for you, my sheep, the sheep of my, my pasture, you are men, but I am your God, declares the Lord God, El Shaddai Yahweh. I am the Lord God. I'm your God. And because of that, you're my people. You're the sheep of my pasture. You're mine, and I take care of you. And so all through the Psalms, as we just saw in Psalm 78, we see outpourings of praise based on this very fact in this very relationship. The same relationship that Israel, the person, not the people, but the, the, the person, Israel, Jacob, had with the Lord. So now the whole people have this relationship with him too. And in the book of Psalms, they sing about it. Now, sometimes I wish we didn't have a book called the book of Psalms. I sometimes wish in English we just called it the book of songs. Because what's a psalm? It's a song, but we have an old English word for it. Now, English is lovely because we have so many different words that mean the same thing. We have an old word and a new word and a French word. And then we have another word we borrowed recently from some other language. But they all mean the same thing. And so it is with song and psalm. And people talk about the Psalter. It's a song book. But we got a special name for it. And we got a special title for it. But they're different. We don't always recognize or think about. This is the song book of the Jews. What did they sing? This morning we mentioned song two which is quoted in prayer by the apostles. Of course they knew that passage. It's number two in the book. Everybody open up your song book. Let's go to number two. Why did the Gentiles rage? Why did the heathens do these terrible things? Well, now we, let's turn to song 79. We were just at song 78. Your pages are close together. Might be the same opening. Psalm, song 79. They sang this as praise to God. So we thy people 
and the sheep of thy pasture will give thanks to thee forever. To all generations, we will tell thy praise. Song 95. You might need to turn a page or two. But Song 95, the song that's so often quoted in the book of Hebrews. For he is our God, and we're the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice, don't reject him as you did in the wilderness. That's the part that Hebrews quotes. But what leads into that? We're the people of his pasture. We're the sheep of his hand. Or Song 100. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Or as we sang this morning in our hymn book number 17. Sometimes called the old hundredth because it's the hundredth psalm. This psalm. Know that the Lord himself is God. Our text says. We're the Psalter. For our hymn, we use the old Scottish Psalter, 1650, if the language sounds a little dated, but it's lovely language. We are his flock, he doth us feed, and for his sheep, he doth us take. Not quite as literal, but it's a whole lot easier to sing. And so they sang his praise as their shepherd, that he cared for his own. And that is such a personal level of care. As David would say in the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because of these two phrases, one of verse 4 and one to close at the end of verse 6. They, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We have often taken Psalm 23 to be a funeral psalm. If you go to a funeral of anybody who's a Christian, almost even nominally so, so you could make money if you bet. Are we going to hear the 23rd Psalm or not? You'd probably make money on it. I remember growing up seeing that so often printed on the inside of a funeral card that I'd open the funeral card, I'd see that and go, oh, not that again. I've since matured. And now I go, oh, good, there it is again. That old friend is still with us. That under his care, there isn't want. There's a place of rest and guidance. There's protection and comfort. There's an abundant life. There's blessings now and forevermore. Goodness and loving kindness follow this sheep around. Goodness and kindness will follow me. What do they do with the sheep? At different times, they move them from field to field. In the summer, it's the high country. In the winter, it's the low country. And various stops along the way and from this pasture to that. 
But what follows all the time? The shepherd follows all the time. The shepherd's with them there. And so this goodness and loving kindness are not when I'm in one place or another. It's not that kind of religion like the Old Testament pagans. Our God is here and your God is there. No, our God is everywhere. And so his goodness and kindness, they follow us around. This is what Isaiah saw the Messiah come to do. Isaiah 40 verse 11. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arms, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing youth. And this imagery is used all throughout the Gospels. Jesus would see them twice in Mark. He'd look upon them as sheep without a shepherd, distressed and downcast. And he would have compassion for them. And through many images and figures, the imagery of a shepherd is throughout our gospel. But Jesus explicitly said this in John 10. He said, I am the good shepherd. So this is me. The shepherd that has led you. The shepherd that led Jacob. The shepherd that Ezekiel spoke of. The shepherd that Isaiah promised. The shepherd that was sung of in the Psalms. That's Jesus. He's the one who fulfills all this. He's the one who brings it all to fruition. He was there as God, leading them in the old. He revealed himself as God in the flesh and new, showing us explicitly who and what he was and what he did. The good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He who's a hireling, the, just the guy there for, for you know, the, the hours, the bad employee. He's not a shepherd who's not the owner of the sheep. For the sheep of his pasture. He's not the owner of the sheep. Behold the wolf comes. He leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hireling. He's not concerned about the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. Where do we start? Nevertheless the firm foundation of the Lord stands. Having this seal. The Lord knows those that are his. I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Yes, that firm foundation of God is still there. The Lord knows those that are His. There's the second part of that, this firm foundation of God that stands, and of which we've been speaking, is, yes, the Lord knows His own. But there's a second part. We won't make a whole second sermon of it, but notice it there. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. And so, yes, we are his sheep. With that comes a responsibility to be sheep under his guidance. Matthew 10, 16, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. He doesn't say go out there and out bark them and out bite them. No, he says still, you're going out as sheep. Be shrewd ones. Be shrewd as serpents, but innocent as doves. And so we, the sheep of his pasture, we go out as sheep into the world. And anybody who looked at the world and looked at a flock would say, man, the world's going to win every time. How does a flock survive in this world? How does a sheep survive in this world of wolves. 
by the good shepherd. And so we go to the world as sheep. We don't go as serpents. We don't go as just a different kind of wolf, a differently aligned wolf. We don't have to go out there and be the Lord's junkyard dog. We go out there as his sheep, depending on him. We have this instruction based on this kind of imagery, Galatians 5. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. There's a lot of great things, switch imagery real quick. A lot of great things about pigs, especially on the plate in multiple forms. But there's some really terrible, nasty, disgusting things about pigs. And one of their habits is to eat everything, including their young, including in the wild, their weak ones. They will literally eat their own. They'll also eat you. I've watched enough murder mysteries, especially dark British ones, to know it's a great way to dispose of a body. That's not your pointer for the day. But they will bite and devour anything. They will consume entirely one another. This is not the way of the sheep. This is not the way of the flock. So this firm foundation of God stands that the Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. And certainly under the great shepherding of Jesus Christ, we have every motivation to do so. And we have by his breaking the power of sin, as we sang in the last hymn, we certainly have the power to also break that. And so, in a world of suffering, in a world of trials, Paul told Timothy, go to the gospel and rest assured that God knows who are, those who are his and that those who are his abstain from wickedness. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at Church. Dot com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.